If that, <laughs> well, a little more than that. Now, you know, um, Jacksonville's still the same, man. It's still, you know, the crime rate is lower, but it's still crime going on for whatever reason. Um, where I live at is Friendly in the Beach, right? So it's, it's a small beach town, sleepy beach town. We basically kind of watch Jacksonville's mistakes <laughs> and, and learn then, like, how to improve it. upon it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the vibe I get from Friendly in the Beach city management. So kudos to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because, like, you know, when Jacksonville Beaches opened um, last week or whatever, it was just a huge uproar about, you know, why they opening the beaches up, this and the other. What are the time frames? You know, they open the beaches up. You can see thousands of people down there standing around in masks or whatever, which is crazy. I call those extroverts. <laughs> and then Fernandina Beach opens, whatever, and they, they mention it. And, like, you know, you just haven't really heard an uproar about it up here in Fernandina Beach. So, um so if I had to compare how Jacksonville is to Fernandina Beach, it's just like we kind of learn from their mistakes up here. Um, as far as I know, I think life is still kind of going on. People are still kind of hanging out and attempting to go to restaurants, you know, stuff like that. I'm actually getting myself until like maybe June, mid-June to actually kind of go back into society and start doing things again, depending on what's going on. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking about never going back into society again, regardless of what's going on. Hey, people, that works too, man. People scare me, bro. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be different, man. For sure, it's gonna be very different. Mm. No doubt about that. There's a lot of hacking and security breaches going on since this whole thing started. Like, what do you think led to that? They think people are asleep at the wheel, or for some reason things are more vulnerable. Hackers feels like this is an opportunity to take advantage of some type of situation, or yeah, so. You know, malicious actors or hackers are always looking for opportunities to capitalize on things like vulnerabilities, um, you know, weak systems, weak software. And by people going home, um, everybody said, hey, you know, a lot of these smaller companies that don't have their own little video conferencing software, if you will, something that they have that they use continuously, everybody jumped on Zoom, right? So with Zoom, you know, they weren't really expecting this this huge burst of um, consumership, I guess, from everybody. So once everybody got Zoom or whatever, the hacker said, hey, everybody's kind of migrating to Zoom. A lot of these people probably are going to set up their video conferences securely, right? So because you have the option to set up, set it up with passwords and actually have people wait in the lobby. Well, a lot of these people, <laughs> from what I was reading and what I understand, were standing up um, Zoom video conferences without any secured measures, right? So anybody on the Internet can find their meeting ID, pop in, and do what they call Zoom bombing, where people are actually like, you know, playing pornographic movies or just kind of like popping into meetings, being obnoxious and things like that. So <laughs> yeah, dead serious, man. So, you know, and even with phishing emails too, right? So a lot of these phishing emails that are coming out now are like about COVID-19 and what hackers like to do is play on the fears of people. And they send these like, you know, believable emails that, you know, I've been trained to look at and spot, you know, the, the things that are wrong, whatever, but to the average human, they're not really going to know what to spot. So they actually, you know, adhere to these policies and, fake plans that they, they send out in these um, malicious emails, spam, phishing, or whatever, you know, click on the link or enter information, um, 
and then uh, their information ends up, be, ends up being stolen or whatever. So, I mean, I've seen that across the board, even with companies, you know, they probably send like a, a invoice saying, hey, you know, the CEO needs to see this invoice right now, you know, and just in this whole heightened state of like, you know, being home and work from home and everything being so new, people aren't really taking security seriously for, for the most part from the, from the average person standpart, right? So once the uh, hackers kind of capitalize on that, they can, you know, make their mark significantly. And that's what's been going on so far. So I've seen a lot of those kind of stories too. Do you, do you see any parallels between uh, the cyber world and the, the real world as far as security and people's um, behavior? Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, you have, I mean, in, in the case of a phishing email, right? I mean, you know, you're, let's say the average person gets a phishing email about COVID-19 or something from their boss relating to like sales or some kind of financials, right? So, you know, with that being said, that email coming into them is playing on their fears and playing on this whole, you know, um, situation that's going on right now. So they can actually get that person um, to respond, you know, because of uh, what's got, going on. You got a fire, bro? No, I'm cooking some uh, lunch for the kids. So we're fired. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just kind of, it's like a virtual representation of them not taking the time to really understand what's really going on, right? Wanting to kind of answer emails quickly without second-guessing it or, you know, having the security team look at it. I kind of see it in the same way as, like, when they open things out, you know, in, for example, in Florida or, or wherever else. It's like everybody wants to get out there so fast and get back to normalcy that people aren't really kind of second-guessing what's going on. They just want to kind of get back in the swing of things. And the same can be said with these emails and attacks that come in as well they want to do things so fast and get back to normal but they're leaving a lot of security precautions um, behind what do you think people can do to to curb their fears and be safe on the internet to be safe on the internet because yeah. um, again you said they're in a heightened state of fear and yeah. they're making rash decisions and they're not really thinking things through like mm-hmm. what could a person do to just have better control of the situation? They could definitely just kind of start by doing their own research, you know, kind of like paying attention to these stories that happen in the news and really understanding, okay, if I'm not expecting an email from this person or, you know, if I'm going to a website and, you know, say, for example, they're going to their banking website and they get redirected somewhere else or they receive a link that looks similar to a, a, um, a, a work-related job or login or whatever, just kind of take the precautions to understand, like, hey, do I, need, do I really need to log into this? Why is this person asking for my credentials? Why is this person asking for my social security number? You know, it's the stuff you got to think about. And I think a lot of times hackers, like I said, they play on that. It's like, you know, if we slide this in there, they're going to think it's real because it has this logo on here, this brand. So really just slowing down and just, you know, taking heed to what's going on and asking the right questions doing your research and just understanding, you know, the, the frequency of type of emails you should be receiving. Cause I know for a fact, if I go to my Gmail right now and I see something from UPS saying, Hey, you got a package or, or, you know, I get a fake email from somebody saying, Hey, you have an invoice for something. I know personally, I didn't seek that out. So that I would know that that's probably not for me. Or I didn't order a package from Walmart or something like that. How many of these cases are, uh, or these victims are grandmama and granddaddy? I would say a huge percentage, man. <laughs> um, in fact, a couple of years ago, I was at my wife's grandma's house, and I was walking through the door, and her grandparents had received a call from like this uh, tech company, but it was like a bunch of Indian dudes mm-hmm. or whatever. 
And they were on the phone with him because they were saying, hey, you have a virus on your computer, blah, 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 which they didn't have a virus at all. They um, ended up going to, I think, a website or they got some kind of email and they clicked on it and led to these guys, you know, um, give them a call or whatever. Because, yeah, it was a pop-up. And they said, hey, please call this number. You have a virus or whatever. So they called the number. And come to find out, the people called back or whatever, acting as, as tech support. And they asked for access to the computer. So my wife's grandmother gives them access to the computer. They install, I think it was um, Let Me In or Log Me In, rather. And when I get there, you know, I'm looking at the computer, you know, the guy just doing his thing on the computer whatever and talking to my, um, my wife's grandmother. And I, I snatched the phone from her and I started playing dumb or whatever. And, um, you know, asking stupid questions or whatever. So the guy, um, once I saw what he was doing, I hung up. So then he calls back and everything like that. And... He starts to ask me questions again, and then I start to tell him kind of what I do, what he was doing, and I kind of like was questioning some of the stuff he was talking about because he was saying like this known file on your computer that is used to operate a certain process. He kept saying it was malicious, and it wasn't. And he got really, really upset with me. He said, "Sir, are you dumb?" And he just got real mad at me or whatever. <laughs> and long story short, basically, they they ended up getting one hundred fifty dollars for that call, but my my wife's grandfather actually got it back, being that it was fraud. So the elderly population definitely is a huge percentage of these type of attacks. But it can affect millennials. It can affect anybody who isn't really paying attention because a lot of times they try to, like like I say, use tactics and techniques that relate to people where they are, basically. Something similar happened to me once I was when I was home and a dude called more or less the same thing. And uh, I was like, what kind of computer I got, bro? And he named the computer. And I'm looking at my computer, and it wasn't what he said. So right. I just trolled him from that point on to the point to where he got pissed off. So Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, it's yep. that, that food. <laughs> Matter of fact, they hung up and I called back. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So you say everything in Florida just kind of opened up, but you're not participating, right? Like you're not going out and being at the beach or anything like that? Not at all, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in my home office, man, like 90% of the time at the house chilling. So um, Same my family. What what does chilling so, look like for you? Chilling like for, looks like for me nowadays is basically just working, working on side projects, watching movies, playing video games, um, inviting some friends over. You know, be having some small get-togethers here and there. But oh, so you inviting every, COVID into your house? Not exactly. No, <laughs> you would think that. But no, everybody that you know for the most part I hang with is, has been home. Um, like everybody is not going out to restaurants, going out to the beach. Like I don't really think I'm talking about is really going to the beach or anything like that. But you know, I'm just not following the masses, right? So everybody, you know, I'm looking at the news and everybody's wanting to get out, go to restaurants. Like I passed my restaurant yesterday, like it was almost at capacity. You know, it's like I'm gonna actually get myself to like June, mid June, actually kind of possibly get back out to things. So other than your social life and professional life, have there been other any other uh, significant changes that this moment hasn't had on you? Yeah. Um, recently had my sister pass away from uh, colon cancer stage four. Oh, I'm sorry. And yeah, man. So with that, we had to, we had to plan a funeral around this whole COVID-19 situation. How does that happen? And, um, well, you know, you go to the funeral home, they kind of tell you, Hey, you know, we can only restrict the wake and the funeral to 50 people. And we were cool with that, you know, cause we understood or whatever. But then like, uh, maybe two days later, um, government came down again and said, Hey, it's only 10 people. And we're thinking, okay, if you include my family, possibly the pastor and, like, the, the um, staff from the um, funeral home agency or whatever, that's way more than 10 people. Mm-hmm. 
So we had to get creative, man. Like at, at my sister's wake, we actually, um, they kind of, you know, granted us kind of favor a little bit because we had a little bit more than 10 people because my family alone is more than 10 people. So mm-hmm. we had people basically rotate through their wake. You know, they came and saw my sister and she knew a lot of people, man. Like mm-hmm. we looked outside and there was so many cars in the parking lot in the street waiting to get inside. I didn't know she affected that many people, man. But it would have been nice if COVID wasn't COVID-19 wasn't here. We would have had like a huge funeral because I mean, she knew hundreds of people, whatever, but you know, to be on the creative side, man, we just had to have people rotate through, um, say their condolences and literally spend maybe three or four minutes with, with the family, you know, so my, my, I'm sitting up front, my parents, my sister and my wife, and you know, uh, my brother-in-law, he was there with his family too. Um, very strong guy, guy by the way, mm-hmm. but we had to be adaptive, man, to the situation. And, um, at first they were trying to like, you know, just really restricted to 10 people and I came to the door, and I was like, hey, I'm her brother. I need to get in there. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So once I told him that, I was able to get in there. And it became more lenient. So we actually, we actually had a little more people, but we actually had the people that were visiting rotate through. For the uh, funeral itself, the next day, the graveside service, um, we had basically immediate family, family underneath the tent in front of the casket. And everybody else that wanted to attend, they kind of stood like maybe 20, 30 feet away um, in the grassy area kind of watching the, uh, the funeral take place. But the cool thing about it was that um, I had talked to my brother-in-law and said, hey, man, one way we can reach people is to stream from my sister's profile, you know, on Facebook, whatever. And he did the same thing as profile. So, like, not only did we have the immediate family there and some friends, but we actually had people uh, who probably couldn't make it because of COVID or because they're working. We were streaming the service on Facebook, and that was well-received. So we had to be creative in, How did that in, in feel? these uh, current times. How did it feel? It felt to, good. To stream, um, to stream a funeral. Because... For me, a funeral is a very private thing, but yet you open it yep. up on a public platform. Did that feel strange or? No, what would have felt strange if we, if we didn't do that, right? Because, I mean, my sister touched so many lives, right? And, I, you know, like I was telling my mom and dad, like being in close proximity to my sister, you don't really see that, that, um, that echo that she had with people. But when she passed away, man, I mean, it was like overwhelming texts, phone calls, social media messages or whatever. So I was like, you know, the right thing to do in this situation is to let those people see their friend, you know, one last time or whatever. So it was actually, I'm, I'm, I was pleased with the way we did. I was, I didn't see it as a, a moment of privacy only because, um, people wanted to see. Now what we did do is we didn't, we didn't have a casket open on mm-hmm. social media. Okay. So it was actually close. So once, once they closed it, that's when I hit the live button and then we started streaming or whatever, because the message from my pastor was good and it actually touched a lot of people. And with that being said, uh, people come out the world book now saying, hey, I'm getting, you know, check, you know, get my colonoscopy this week, next week because of your sister. So, I mean, she inspired a lot of people. So I, I thought it was justice to do that. Now, with yeah. um, the whole rotating thing and all the, the, the alternative methods and approaches you had to take to the wake and everything. Yeah. Did it make things easier? did actually right because you know we were kind of like had a chance to grieve and be a family right without the up and down up and down to meet people hugging people whatever the, the funeral home directors took care of the the flow if you will right so they would come to the door and they would kind of escort them down they would speak to us give us hugs whatever take a look at my sister's body for the last time and walk out so it took a lot of stress in that in that aspect that we weren't telling people hey can you sign the guest book hey how you doing you know going back and forth back and forth now what i was doing was you know, my wife at one point in time, she went out with the kids, so we kind of swapped. So I let her go inside, and I went outside with the kids. But at the same time, I got to see a lot of people because they were kind of coming into the place. So I saw, like, a lot of friends, family. Um, 
had a lot of conversations with people. So it was more controlled, um, you know, and I think it worked out pretty good for that situation. Because I'm asking this because it has forced people to be creative in things that they, in how they approach life and functions sure. or whatever. It helps them to simplify things. Do you think this is something that could possibly become the norm going forward? Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll ever go back to pre-COVID-19 as far as, you know, people openly, you know, giving daps, hugs, um, certain procedures and policies or whatever. Um, I definitely think there's going to be some kind of change. I don't know what that change is. I mean, maybe the funeral home may kind of have some of the same standards. I mean, still allow a lot of people, but still kind of have, have like the, the, maybe the mask and like the hand sanitizer like they did for us, right? So it was kind of like when people came in, they used hand sanitizer, people had on masks. So that might be kind of the norm going forward. But as far as like, you know, occupancy and, and buildings and stuff like that, I'm sure that's probably going to change too, so, to a certain extent. Because you still have people that are going to be super freaked out to even go anywhere. Um, so you probably won't see as many people in certain places or whatever for a while. Are you sure? At least that's what I think. I mean, because I'm thinking about the history of uh, viruses throughout mankind's uh-huh. uh, existence. And like, for example, the Spanish flu. I mean, yeah. that killed a bunch of people. But yet, here we are prior, I mean, prior to COVID-19, we were social physically. You know, everyone was yeah. close to each other, kissing, hugging, dapping, shaking hands, or whatever, even post-Spanish flu. Um you don't think that we'll ever get back to that? Or do you think that a lot of us are just being prisoners of the moment right now? Um, definitely being prisoners of the moment. But at the same time, you know, back then we didn't have social media either too, right? And even with the media, um, to a certain degree, um, I feel like things are being kind of geared towards not really, I don't want to say scaring the masses, but the masses are pretty much scared, right? So they're seeing people dying left and right. They're not probably not doing their research. You know, they're seeing mm-hmm. updates from nurses that are saying, hey, this person died. So I think having almost information overload on, on COVID-19 is going to change a lot of people's mindsets. Because even like in my neighborhood, right, a couple weeks ago, we were at the pool. And this lady, um, she's one of those I'm talking about. She basically was like, you know, had her son at the pool. And she told him, all right, you have to stay three feet away from everybody in the pool. I'm like, how do you do that yeah. <laughs> at a pool? So, I mean, I've seen too many examples of that, right, where people kind of slightly taken to the extremes. Like, why come to the pool when you got a lot of people in the pool? And every time he jumped in the pool, she kept telling her son, okay, stay three feet back, stay three feet back. It's like, you might as well just sit on the edge at the end and just keep his feet in the pool or stay down there. Or put him in the bathtub. That too. (laughs) You know, so I've seen a lot of examples of people just kind of, and I don't want to call that extreme, but just kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to use the word overboard. I use it though. Kind of going overboard as far as like the precautions and stuff like that, right? Because I know for me, like I said, I've been in the house pretty much the whole time. Um, you know, my family has for the most part. Everybody I, I pretty much chill with has been doing the same thing. You know, we've been doing the sanitizer thing forever, so this isn't really new to us. What's new to us is the mask. You know, when I go to the store, I wear a mask or whatever, but sanitizing, keeping yourself clean, wash your hands, that's nothing new. We teach our kids that. So, How many kids do you have? I have three. And and how are they taking this, this whole thing? They're actually taking it pretty good. Um... My son's like me, man. He's real chill, man. So, like, he's not really affected by too many, too many things. I will tell you this, though. Um, we were supposed to go to uh, Universal Orlando for spring break uh, back in March, March 17th. Uh-huh. And I had bought my tickets that Friday, I think that Thursday or Friday. And 
around the time I bought my tickets was when all the COVID-19 stuff happened, started happening, right? So in the that Friday, I found out in the States, yeah, in the okay. States, yeah. Yeah, you're right, in the States. And that Friday, I found out they closed up, they were closing down Disney World. So I'm like, oh, snap. They're probably going to close Universal. And two hours later, they mentioned they were closing Universal, right? So mm-hmm. that shot our plans for, for for spring break to go to Orlando. Uh, but for the most part, man, my kids have adjusted and adapted. Um, my daughter's been playing outside with her friends. Um, you know, they've been watching a lot of TV, Netflix, um, you know, stuff like that. So they've adjusted pretty good, man. My one-year-old, he just, it doesn't matter. He's, he's a little terrorist. <laughs> he, he tries to take down everything. So, but for the most part, man, um, this is kind of like my lifestyle anyway, so I'm not too affected. I've never been the one to always hang out and stuff like that. It, like, I'm going to lose to something you said earlier about being creative. So it's, it's definitely has given me a chance to be more creative on my job and then also, you know, on my, my startup business that I have and also my nonprofit with the, um, you know, the accountability group that I run. So been more creative in those aspects and just have more time to do more things on that, on that end. And uh, your wife? She's actually a nurse, so she's oh, on the front lines. Yeah. <laughs> so she's actually doing home health. She hasn't been exposed to any COVID-19 patients yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so being they're that testing. She's home health. Huh? So they're testing. They're testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have like a, um, a very um, rigid process when they bring in people to be admitted to home care. Like they, they do COVID-19 tests and things like that. Whatever. Now, there are some cases out here in my county or whatever, but... Um, I don't think too many home health patients, sorry. So she's been kind of lucky in that sense, whatever. And uh, but but also her agency has prepared everybody with what they call I think PPE. I forget what it stands for, but they yeah. have protections, it, yeah. some kind of gear, basically. Yeah, yeah, to the protect them. Equi- if they, the protective equipment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In case they do run into a COVID nineteen patient or whatever. So, but they would also tell them to, hey, this patient has COVID nineteen. Um, you know, please put on PPE gear and stuff like that. So. Um, so, so far so good, man. But, um, you know, they, they take, you know, nurses obviously and and my wife's agency takes it pretty seriously and, um, you know, just, uh, takes everything into precaution. Are there any protesters in Florida about the, uh, the anti-social distancing protesters? I haven't seen anything, honestly. Really? Because with the the, the reputation Florida has, I would think that it (laughs) it would come from there. Yeah. I've seen more about, like Michigan had something recently where the guys went to the Capitol with like rifles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saying we need haircuts and stuff like oh, that. Speaking so. of rifles, uh, the situation in Georgia, uh, Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, yeah, man. This yeah. was in February, right? Yes, yeah, it's February, man. Um, and it's only getting up for now because the video just came out. So I heard about it, right? But, you mm-hmm. know, um, video just came out and it was actually too much for me. My wife was telling me about it and, like, I'm sitting at my, um, you know, my kitchen table, man, and, like, I just could not get up. Because I saw the video. It, it, first of all, it took me a while to watch the video. Right? Mm-hmm. I told myself I wasn't going to watch it. She showed it to me. And I just sat there, man, because I'm raising two two young black boys. And it just hit me because it's like, man, that's something that a lot of people do every day. They jog. Yeah. You know? And from the looks of the video, man, just, I just had like the 50s, 60s, and 70s vibe all over again, man. They were riding this pickup truck, and the guy was in the back of, you know, truck bed with the shotgun, you know what I'm saying? Like as if they were like hunting mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, came and, and shot this guy while he was running and stuff like that. And, you know, watching his body slump over a fall and just like, I just, I had tears in my eyes and I couldn't move my chair for like 10 minutes. And I was so frustrated because it's like, man, I'm, I'm that guy, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that lives in the area where it's not a whole lot of blacks. There's some blacks out here, right? But mm-hmm. not as many as in Jacksonville. 
And that could be me, you know, um, running down the street, you know, jogging or playing basketball at the court. That could be my son riding his bicycle in the neighborhood. I mean, just everything hit me all at once. Yeah. And I was just, and that one, that one really hurt because I'm, you know, knowing that not only am I black male myself, I'm raising two young black males in this situation. Then I'd explain it to Adrian like immediately. So after I kind of gathered my thoughts, I explained to Adrian what was going on. And he, he's still trying to process everything, but he's kind of, he understands, you know, that he still needs to be telling himself that he, that he, he's, he's value, right? I just, I just try to have these talks with him and let him know, hey, man, you know, even though you're a black male, you still have to work hard. You still got to, you know, do your academics, you know, just kind of put yourself out there to make yourself unique and stuff like that. We just have these conversations every once in a while. You know, when I uh, saw the video, I shared it with a few people here. And um, one of them was like, you know, once you told me that you don't go jogging, it makes you nervous. Like, you would never run, just go out and just start running unless you were participating in a sport that involved running. And they were like, I always thought that was crazy, and I didn't believe it. Then I saw this video, and it all makes sense. Because I was like, the last thing I want is somebody to look at me running. Because I'm not slow. And if I run, I'm going to run. I don't Just being black and being in the States, if you just a random black guy running, they're going to think you're running from something. And the last thing I want is to give the police an excuse or some crazy mofo with a gun an excuse. Yeah, me and you fall in the same category, right? That's the only time I really run is when I'm playing basketball or some type of sport. Um, even my license and registration, bro, is on the side of my, my door. It's not in my glove apartment. Mm-hmm. It's on the side of my door. So in case I ever get pulled over, I can quickly pull it out and have it in hand because mm-hmm. I don't want to be reaching forward my glove compartment. I mean, it's just the world we live in, man, unfortunately. So I can't really see myself reaching in the glove compartment with my back turned to the officer, yeah. you know, because something could happen. So, you know, it's right there, right there um, in the door. And I just give it to him if necessary. See, this is... The conversation we're having right now is um, what white privilege is. I, I have these conversations with people, my non-black friends, and oftentimes they become offended because they're like, you know, it's not fair that you call it white privilege. It's just like I don't go out and say I'm white, give me something. Um, and I was like, that's not what white privilege is. White privilege is you can run, you can go out for a jog and not worry about being shot. Or you can reach yeah. in the glove compartment to get your license and your, your registration and not worry about being shot. Like, or you go to the Capitol building in Michigan. Exactly. Like, with, but, with not, the rifle. but that's an extreme. But I just mean yeah. doing regular, everyday, normal stuff where you're treated as a human being. Whereas we have to think about, is it safe to run? I mean, I want to get exercise. I like running. It's a nice, it's a nice day. But if I do it, I might get chased down by some mofos with shotguns and a pickup truck. Or the police yeah. might be having a bad day. Should I put my driver's license inside of my glove compartment? Because if I get pulled over for whatever reason and I reach for it, that yes, could sir. be the last thing I ever do. Exactly. And I was telling somebody just recently, man, the black male comes into this world born in a defensive posture. And I say that to say that, you know, we're born with the disadvantages because of our skin color out, out, out the gate. And unfortunately, like you just said, man, just a lot of things that we just can't do out of the norm is just, I mean, I was looking at a post the other day, man, it, it just kind of listed everything black people can't do from playing loud music, jogging, 
having a broken down vehicle on the highway. I mean, the list goes on, man. It's kind of scary. It's, it's like, what can we, what can't we do? You know, what can we not do? It's, 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 it's saddening and it's sickening, man, because again, once this happens, I have to relate this to my, my sons and say, hey, man, you know, make sure you, <laughs> you understand what I'm telling you with the story and that you try to just kind of be the best citizen you can. But, I mean, nowadays, man, it's just, it's just crazy. And I, it just hurts me more when I see that because, like I said, I have two, just two sons and myself being a black man trying to do the right thing as a family, family man as a husband. So, The question I want to ask you is if, we marched, it took marching, it took people dying, it took people being heroes, and yet we still aren't at that point where we are privileged to be human beings and not black human beings. And now we're at a place where we have a pandemic and still there you still see uh, examples of discrimination and racism and so forth what do you think it would take for other people to say okay this isn't important anymore we need to stick together as people because it, a pandemic ain't enough what what do you think needs to happen in order for that for you, the rest of the world to just forget about what people look like? Man, sadly, I, I just like that's, I don't think that's going to happen, man. I think just in life, man, you just you go through things. Because I've, I've experienced covert racism out here, too, where I'm at. So I just think, man, it's just the mentality. Well, yeah, I guess the mentality would have to change, but I don't see that changing anytime soon, man. It's just a thread of history that's going to go on forever. It's gotten, I guess, better, you know, since the 60s and 70s for the most part, as far as what we can do as black people. But... I really think if black people come together more often and lift up their own communities and bring money and finances into their own communities and kind of not depend on, you know, the 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 uh, the, the, the Asian hair shops and you know the, the banks that we go to outside of our communities and try to bring that inside, then you probably try to you, you probably build some kind of respect and attention because you're taking the money away from the the sources that have it now. Um, that's why I think it kind of starts at with us. But isn't that more to difficult to do if, if there's systemic racism, racism running rampant throughout um, the American society and American culture and politics? It is, but anything's possible, man. And I don't think we've just never seen black people come together like that at all. I mean, you see it like in, 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 in a roller coaster format, right? You know, when somebody black dies, you know, we all kind of come together for a few months and it goes back down. You know, back to the love and hip hop type stuff. It just goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Like you just, I don't know. It's, I mean, I yeah. hear what you're saying, but I think a lot of it has to do with opportunity. And I don't think every community has the same opportunity as others. I mean, we have significant, significantly more challenges than the Asian yeah. community. And sure. And you got the, the whole prison system. You got everything where you just have to climb that mountain. Um, and only a few get out. And I, I, I like to believe those few give back, but I don't know who they are. I've never met them. I've never had a conversation with them. Um, yeah, and I agree with that, too. It's like that's where it kind of starts. At, like if you make it to a certain point as a black person or whatever, male or female, one of your duties should be to, to try to give back to your community and kind of uplift them as well. I mean, you know, I'm not popular or famous or anything like that, but like that's the purpose of um, my nonprofit is to give back in a way of positivity, 
uh, community service and, you know, telling people about technology and how to like get out of poverty and get away from, you know, the thought process of going to be a dope boy or trying to make it to the NBA or NFL or become a rapper just to make it. It's like so many other opportunities out here. And I think people reaching back that have made it can, you know, streamline that process. But again, it's just, you know, it's just a, it's the mentality. It's uh, what people really think about the community. I mean, the list goes on. Changing directions. What's some of the things you miss since being locked down? I don't know that to the extreme, that just lockdown or has some um, has gone to what restrictions you all have. But if there's anything that you miss doing or being a part of, what would that be? Uh, man, I'm so simple. <laughs> Probably just uh, going to some of my favorite restaurants, man. Just kind of just chilling out there. Like I said, man, I was talking to one of my other friends. He's kind of in the same boat as me. It's like this is kind of my lifestyle, man. Like, you know, I've been blessed to actually still make money in the, during this whole pandemic. Um, you know, cause I can work from home with cybersecurity, uh, and I'm still able to go places, but you know, I just don't really go too many places because of what's going on. But even when I was going places, you know, it was like really restaurants or hanging out at friends' houses or uh, going to stores and stuff like that. So even with that, man, I mean, Amazon, um, ordered some shoes from, uh, I think it was what the locker vans or something like that. So everything came to the house. So it's like, hasn't really affected me too much as, as, as other people. I'm just being honest. Well, what's one of the first other things? Than, uh-huh, go ahead. Other than, actually, other than actually physically going to church, uh-huh. I mean, we watch it virtually or whatever. And um, I have a pretty good relationship with the pastor and leadership and everything like that. So we talk weekly. So it's kind of like not much has really changed other than actually going to physical places to be around a lot of people to have a good time. Speaking of church, um, was just out of curiosity, Sure. Was your church one of the churches that was like, God is bigger than COVID-19, we're going to open our doors anyway? No. Oh, thank God. No, no. It was like, you know, God is bigger than COVID-19, but you got to have common sense, too. And that's what I think a lot of people have to realize, man, is that, you know, you have to have common sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's something, you know, that, you know, a lot of people don't have. A lot of people don't want to use it, but you have to have common sense because, yeah, I saw, you know, pastors and leaders and whatever getting arrested because they had their, their doors open, you know, in spite of, and yeah, I, I yeah, I, we haven't experienced that. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So what's one of the first things you're going to do once uh, the, the lockdown has been lifted completely? Looking forward to my basketball gym opening back up. We used to play every Wednesday night. So I'm looking forward to kind of doing that again. Uh, I haven't played in a couple months actually, because this whole thing went down and just going to some of my favorite restaurants, man. And, um, doing a little bit of shopping. That's about it. Do you think Maybe some vacations? You think this situation is going to give you more business as far as cybersecurity is involved? Because a lot of things are going to be exclusively online now, or more so than before, I imagine. As far as my business goes, so I'm doing digital media, so I may get more people to uh, you know want to do podcasts or write ebooks or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as far as cybersecurity goes, my job actually, I talked to my manager last week, and he was saying possibly that we could go remote or work from home full time. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's going so well right now. Yeah. And um, I told him, I said, I probably at least want to come into the office once or twice a week. But I'm sure that'll change because we had to help. Basically, our whole company kind of shifted over to everybody working from home. And we've done it successfully. So I think that's going to change in that aspect to where I can still work from my home office and um, do what I need to do. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, my personal one is called the Intrusion Diversity System. Mm-hmm. It's playing on words for IDS, which is a uh, security tool for intrusion detection system. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, I run it with a guy named O'Shea Bowens. He's out of Boston. We're both cybersecurity professionals. We've been doing it for about a year now, going into season three. And I was going pretty good. What is it about? It's cybersecurity from a um, black male's perspective. We're trying to, like, show people, you know, how to get into cybersecurity, but also, you know, talk the cybersecurity language, right? You know, like the, the technology, the language, the um, terminology. We tell, we talk about stories in the news. We kind of give our own perspectives on stories in the news. We tell our own stories from our personal experience in cybersecurity. We have different guests that come on as well, women, men, you know, you name it. We just kind of come on and give everybody a chance to kind of, you know, kind of state their profession, see what they, you know, see what they do. And uh, it's really, it's really a good time, man. We've been doing it, like I said, for about a year. And um, it's been catching traction. It's on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, and I think a couple other podcast outlets. So everywhere. Yeah, basically <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Intrusion diversity system. Going forward, what would be some of the lessons you've learned throughout this experience that you keep with you or even pass down to your son and make sure that he remembers? Uh, number one, you know, don't panic. Don't be afraid. Uh, do your own research. Surround yourself with people who are kind of like-minded in, in terms of thinking forward and trying to figure out ways how to navigate through the pandemic rather than, you know, focus on the pandemic happening and not making nothing happen for themselves. Possibly finding a career that can kind of sustain you through something like this. You know, it takes sacrifice, it takes hard work to kind of find an industry that allows you to work, right? Because, you know, fortunately, if you're working in, like, the restaurant industry or whatever, you know, a lot of those people have taken a hit, unfortunately. But also just to work hard and, and you know, you know, for me, definitely, you know, keep God first and all you do. Sprinkle some common sense in there. You know, just move forward the best you can. I mean, they're, they're actually watching me in real time deal with this. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job. My wife's doing a pretty good job and, you know, trying to keep everything normal and maintaining things. I got one more question for you. And I want yeah. you to be honest. Did the number of people that went to the pool increase after Trump made statements about injecting and ingesting disinfectants because they wanted to get a little bit of that chlorine in their mouths. I don't even know, man. I've been to the pool since. <laughs> but that's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious.